If you have a Bible, join me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're kicking off a brand new series today on the journey to Jesus. How many of you know that to come to Jesus, you've got to go on a journey? Right? Contrary to some popular opinion, um, the journey to Jesus does not make you rich, does not guarantee you health, and it does not guarantee that God will take away all your problems. In fact, God says He will likely give you more problems <laughs> to make sure that you are aware of your need to trust in Him. At the end of the Old Testament, in the very last book of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, the very last things that God says to His people are, are these words of hope. You don't got to turn there, they'll be on the screen and I want to read them for you. Uh, but, uh, but I just want you to listen to the last thing God told His people before He would come as a baby to this earth. Here, here's what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5, look, show me what it means to look. Everybody, show me what it means to look. None of you are helping me. Listen, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Put up your goggles, come on. I want you to remember this. This is the last thing that God told his people. Do you think they wanted to remember it? Here's what it says. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So God's saying, before revelation happens and I come back and I take over and I judge the world, I'm going to send you a prophet. Verse 6, good news, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. God comes to his people through his prophet Malachi and says, I have good news for you. I am going to come and judge the earth. I'm going to strike the land with a curse. But before I do that, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah of my choosing and he will turn people towards each other in love and towards me. That's good news, isn't it? Here's the problem with that good news. God tells his people that. And then he goes silent for 400 years. Now you go ahead and do the math on that. I didn't. But that's a lot of generations of Jesus followers looking forward to that promise coming true. And for 400 years, God does not speak to His people. I just want you to think about that. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're saying, listen, listen, Pastor, I know that God is real. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. The, the science is there, the historical evidence is there, but at the end of the day, God the Holy Spirit has to come in and regenerate your heart to be in relationship with Him, and I would be willing to stake 
claim on the fact that somebody in this room right now feels like they're in that period of silence. That all of us in different moments, whether it be through struggle or sin or whatever the case may be for you, the loss of a family member, the holiday season, bringing up bad memories, wherever you are in life, there, there are times where you as a follower of Jesus are going to be in this period where God delivered good news to you through His Word and through His people, and you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as Old Testament says, but you've entered this period of silence. And it's in that period of silence that I, I want you to feel the tension of what God's people felt as we turn towards Luke chapter 1. Some of them probably forgot. Isn't it easy in the busyness of this season to forget, thus saith the Lord? It is, isn't it? Can we just be honest with each other that, that we are a consumeristic people, aren't we? I mean, we just, we want our stuff. I've got a list right here if you want to know what I want for Christmas. I'm just kidding. Come on, that was funny. You should laugh at that. But in our heads, don't we have that? Isn't it, isn't it difficult in this moment to hear the voice of God? It can be. And so as you turn your attention towards Luke chapter 1, I want you to know that it was in that silence that God was waiting. Waiting. Waiting some more. 400 years of waiting. If you can't hear the voice of God in your life today, if you can't see Him working in your life today, I want to encourage you that in the waiting, God is still working. In the waiting, God is still working. Because as we come to Luke chapter 1, uh, it starts out this way, where, where we're going to be in verse 5. It says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife from the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth. Now, we're going to move through that and we're going to, we're going to look at some pretty incredible things. But it begins with these two characters, Herod and Zechariah. Herod was a bad dude. If you were in history class right now, they would be referring to him as Herod the Great. Probably a, self, a self-given title. What should I call myself? Mitch the Great. <laughs> it's fitting, right? I mean, if the shoe fits. And Herod was a bad guy. Herod was also a brilliant guy. The things that he built, the temple that he built, I'll just give you one example. The temple that he built in Jerusalem dwarfed in size Solomon's temple. If you want a, a quick view of that, you, you can pick up yourself an ESV study Bible and it shows you the difference. It shows you where Solomon's thing was, which by the way the Old Testament says was, was you know, built in tremendous splendor. It was, it was an amazing feat 
of architecture. And Herod the Great said, no, 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 I'm going to I'm going to build that puppy real big. And then to make sure that everybody knew it was Herod the Great's great temple and not God's great temple. He built himself a mansion of a palace right next door. So when you went and looked at the presence of God, you you had to look at the presence of Herod. So this is Herod the Great. Herod the Great would also go on to have his wife killed and two of his sons killed because he wanted to be sure that they weren't going to be traitors, that they weren't going to turn their back on him. I happen to be married and I have two boys. I cannot imagine what would have to go through your heart to want to make that move no matter how great I was. But that's Herod the Great. That's Herod the Great. And it's the guy who was in charge at this time. And in future weeks we're going to we're going to study why that was so important because if you know the background of the Christmas story, if you're a guest of ours and you you aren't a Christian and you don't know the background of the story, uh, the Bible tells us elsewhere that Herod would get wind of this baby king being born and he would order all the children being born to be killed. And God would work through that, but this is the setting into which Jesus is going to come. But before Jesus comes, the Bible prophesied in Malachi chapter 4 that this great prophet was going to come and prepare the way for Jesus to come. And so, for us to start on a journey to Jesus, we have to start where God chose to start, don't we? It doesn't start with me experiencing the beauties of salvation. God put a lot into this leading up, and so we come and we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says that Zechariah was a priest. Now, in, in this time period, there, there could have been as many as 20,000 priests in the area surrounding Jerusalem at this point. And so, Zechariah, the Bible also says, we're going to read in a second, was an old man. And how many of you know if the Bible calls you old? You're old, right? I mean, that's not like your child calling you old. That's like the Bible. An ancient book says you're old. You're old. And so, Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. But they are also insignificant. The way to there would come every year this opportunity to have a priest go in before the presence of the Lord, not in the Holy of Holies, but just outside of that. So there's a curtain inside the temple and behind that is the Ark of the Covenant. And in that place is where the presence of God would rest. And so every year... There would be a priest chosen, not the high priest. He would go in once a year and he would offer in the Holy of Holies. But the nobodies, the guys who weren't the high priest, every year would have this opportunity. And it was kind of like the lottery where randomly they would choose one priest that got to go in just outside the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice to offer incense, to offer the prayers of God's people to the Lord. And this, if you got this opportunity, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Maybe even less than a once in a lifetime opportunity. 
because there were so many and so few years that you would live. And so Zechariah is an old man now, but let's keep reading because his big day comes. Look at this in verse 7. But they, oh, well, let's go back to verse 6. Both of them were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So we meet that they are godly people. They're following the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. <laughs> Verse 8. When his division of priesthood was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. His big day comes. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was appearing to him, was appeared to him, or was praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Now listen, this is an incredible thing. Zechariah has never in his life, as he's old now, and probably resigned himself to the fact that he would never get to do this special moment. He gets chosen. Totally random, but he gets chosen. And so he goes into the temple and he goes into the place and he begins to offer up this incense to the Lord. And outside in the temple courts, these large areas, people were gathering for worship. And all these people are praying. They're praying as Zechariah goes in that as he offers incense which signifies prayer to the prayers of the people going into the lord that as all of this is happening it would have been an incredible moment of worship for both the people outside and for zachariah on the inside zachariah and elizabeth had faced a lot of disappointment in their life they for years had prayed for a child and god did not grant them a child and so maybe in this moment zachariah felt like this is this is a special, a special moment for me to go into the presence of the Lord. And that's where he's at. And the people are out praying. But then it gets even better, right? Verse 11. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people was praying outside and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go out before them in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. Does that sound familiar? We've had 400 years of silence. And now little itty bitty Zechariah, old Zechariah, Elizabeth, not able to have children. God's not been speaking. And God breaks his silence. God comes to 
Zechariah and says, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to give Elizabeth a child. And it's going to be John. And he's going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. And he's going to turn people back to their fathers. He's going to turn the hearts of his people back to himself. He's going to be the one that prepares the way for the Lord. If you're taking notes this morning, the very first thing I want you to write down, number one, is that the journey to Jesus is born in unsuspecting places. What God is going to do in your life, if you're yielded to Him, will come from unsuspecting places. Zechariah was old. Elizabeth was old. And God had not spoken to His people in 400 years. (laughs) And God breaks His silence. And notice what happens in Zechariah when... The presence of that angel comes. It invokes fear. It invokes terror. But then the next verse declares that in the message that God brings, that as we stand terrified in the presence of God and in the presence of this angel, that God was going to send joy. That God was going to send delight. That God was going to send celebration to His people. And in that moment, I just want you to consider what your worship looks like this Christmas. When you walked in here today, are you aware that when the church gathers together, that God's presence is here? Think about that. that. That we're not just meeting together to do some religious exercise, but in this moment and in this place, that God is with us. There's a sense that you ought to feel the weight of God's presence. You see, because the Bible says God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and as they would, as this priest would walk in there, If God came with a message through his angel, through his messenger, Zechariah was terrified. There is a right and holy response. The Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. And we live in a culture, even in Christianity, that tries to explain it away as being just some kind of reverence for God. But I would like to submit to you that Hebrews tells us that our God is like a consuming fire. That doesn't sound like it'll feel good, does it? No, no, no. We we walk into the presence of God understanding that this is God. Zechariah sees the angel and he's terrified because who knows what this angel is going to deliver to me from God? Who knows what the people outside have done to invoke the anger of God? Who knows what I have done to invoke the anger of God? And every time we walk into this place as the church, Redeemer City Church, we walk in and we bring our stuff, we bring our baggage, we bring our sin, we bring our everything, and we ought to feel the weight of the fact that we've brought that into the presence of God, a holy and righteous God. But isn't it amazing that God's presence comes through prayer. 
That as the people are outside praying, they've taken time, they've gathered, they're praying, and they're sending in their priest before God to offer prayer, that it's in that moment that God comes. He's been silent for 400 years. If He's been silent in your life, I want to encourage you that God's presence comes through the power of prayer. That's what He told us to do. And so Zechariah gets in this big day and he is not delivered a terrifying message. He's delivered a message of good news. Where was it that God met you? Where was it that God first delivered good news to you? You see, because every salvation story, every rescue story, whether it was when you were six and it was mundane because you were just blessed to be in the presence of God from a young age, or whether you were rescued at an older age and God has moved into your life, regardless of the story, every rescue story is a miraculous story. That when you came to Christ, wherever that was, it was a story of miraculous salvation. And then look at the message that he was given about his son. First of all, you're going to have a son. Can you imagine the excitement that you would feel? Zechariah doesn't feel that. <laughs> look at what happens. So he's terrified in verse 13. He gets the, the message. And then verse 14 talks about the joy and delight that your son is going to bring. And there's some stipulations there because God's a God of order and He's a God who works through the preparation of His people. And John was going to have to do some things. And if you know the story of John, as you go a little bit farther into Luke's Gospel, John was weird, man. He wore weird clothes. He ate weird food. He didn't do what the people around him were doing. God had a calling on his life and John was going to fulfill that calling. But look at this. Verse 17 talks about the power and spirit of Elijah. But then verse 18, here's Zechariah's response, and I think we can learn from this. I mean, how many of you know, if you, just think about the setting here. If you finally get chosen to go into the presence of God, and there's thousands of people outside praying for you as you walk in and offer prayers to God, just think about the power of that moment. You'd be like, man, I could, I could, I could come on, Satan, I could, I could do anything right now. But he was old, so maybe he didn't do that. Here's what he says, verse 18. How can I know this? I mean, who says that to an angel? Seriously. Who says, I mean, Gabriel. We're about to find out this is Gabriel. Only two angels in the whole Bible are mentioned by name. And dude, you, the dude's standing in the presence of Gabriel. And he's like, I don't know, bro. I don't know, man. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. Who asks an angel anything? I mean, how do you know if an angel shows up, it's a good day? You're just going to listen, going to obey. <laughs> For I am an old man and my wife. Whew, she's, she's really old. <laughs> Zechariah is striking out here. He says, I'm an old man, but my wife, she is well along in years. Come on, man. I love the angel's answer, right? How many of you know when you ask God dumb questions, God's going to answer you because He loves you? 
Aren't you grateful for that? How many times has God moved in your life and God brought good news to you and God given you everything you could possibly need and most of what you want? And we go to God and just ask for a little bit more. God, can I just have a little bit more? Aren't you thankful that God is a loving God and that He works through unsuspecting places, right? It's 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. There were plenty of priests in that 20,000 who would have walked in there and been, just would have received that word and gotten after it. But God doesn't want to do that because then you'll take the credit, won't you? I know I would. I mean, if there's 10,000 people here on Christmas Eve, I'm going to feel pretty good about myself. (laughs) You're like, man, I did something right. No, of course not, right? God works in unsuspecting places. Look what look what Gabriel says to him. I am Gabriel. Bruh. I put that part in there myself. That's not in the text. Listen to this. Who stands in the presence of God. Wow. Can you imagine being Zachariah? Uh, sorry. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. God didn't retract that good news in Zechariah's doubt. He reinforced that good news in Zechariah's doubt. Whatever your doubt is this Christmas season, I want you to just lean into the fact that God is still moving, still speaking, and He will still bring good news. Verse 20, now listen, you've done enough talking, now you're going to listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. You see, our choices on earth will never affect our standing in heaven, but they will affect our standing on earth. That your vertical relationship is settled, but your doubt on the horizontal plane will have consequences in the life of your family, in the life of your friends, in the life... We, we said last week that God's going to move at the pace of our faith. He's always moving, but He's going to move at the pace of our faith. And so, Zechariah has his mouth shut literally. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Listen, I don't know where you are today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never confessed Him as Lord... I want you to know that 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 truth is true. And that regardless of what you choose to do with Jesus, I want you to know that these things will take place. That Jesus is coming back and you need to confess Him as Lord and bow your knee to Him as Lord. Because God's going to fulfill His things in His time. You see, the second aspect of this story, as the angels describing these things to Zechariah, is this realization, number two in your notes, is that the journey to Jesus will call you to go where you never thought you would go. It's going to call you to go where you never thought you would, or maybe that you never thought you could go. 
You see, what's one thing that's beautiful about the body of Christ is the fact that every single one of us is in a different place in this city, around different people in this city, to be on mission for God in this city. And some of you never thought you would be in the place that God has put you. In the city that God has put you, in the job that God has put you, in the family that God has put you, doing the things that God has... I know some of your story, and it's been... It's been a crazy ride for God to get you where you are. But as God works through unsuspecting places and unsuspecting people, He's going to take those people and push them farther into places that they never thought they could go. And I want you to get into that this Christmas and recognize that God's put you right where you are to make a difference for Him in this city. And what, what are you going to do with that? With that privilege to be in the place that you never thought you would be? <laughs> then the story shifts back outside. I love this in verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. Maybe he's so old, man, guys. He, he might have died. He's been in there for a while. He's either getting a word and we need to run. Or he's dead. There's no, other, there's no other options for Zach. Verse 22. Can you imagine being the people? God's been silent for 400 years. And they're begging him as Zachariah's in there to speak. Verse 22. When he did not come out. When he did come out. He could not speak to them. And then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. What an amazing thing. There's some details there about John the Baptist's life. About how he was going to be called to go places that he never knew he was going to go. That Zachariah and Elizabeth never knew he was going to go. Back in verse 15, we're given this incredible, this incredible verse about how it is that John was going to go out in the power of Elijah. Elijah did some crazy stuff. Elijah was on the mount, on Mount Carmel, which was a mountain in the Middle East, and he's standing there, and there's 400 prophets of Baal, 400 people that would like to see Elijah dead. And Elijah says, "Let's play a little game. Let's play a little game called who can call fire from heaven." <laughs> no big deal. And they both set up their altars. The 400 prophets of Baal they go first, and there. And Elijah sets up his and then he's waiting because he's going to let them go first. And they start to call on Baal. And time goes on and time goes on and hours pass and Baal's doing nothing. And so Elijah, like a good man of God, starts to talk trash. It's like, maybe Baal's sleeping. This is, you can go read it. It's in the Old Testament. You just Google it. It'll come right up. Maybe Baal had to go potty. He's relieving himself, I think is what the text actually says. He's talking trash and can you just see it? 
there's 400 of these prophets and they're cutting themselves and they're crying out to God, Baal, and nothing's happening. And finally, Elijah's just like, all right, you obviously, Baal's not going to do anything. And so, Elijah steps up and in that moment, he begins to pray, right? He doesn't do anything crazy. He doesn't do anything wild. He gets on his face before God and begins to pray. And God sends fire and it burns up everything. That's who Elijah was. The story doesn't end there either, by the way. We see, this, we see this incredible thing where God brings fire from heaven because Elijah prayed. Don't we want the power of prayer like that to be in this church and in this city? But then what happens? <laughs> it talks about the spirit of Elijah, the power of Elijah, the, his spirit within him. So the offering gets burnt up and the prophets of Baal start to run. They start to run down the mountain. Can you just see this? And here goes Elijah. What's Elijah do? Whips out his knife. He had one on his thigh. <laughs> he runs down the hill and he slaughters him. It's like, whoa. That's Elijah. <laughs> there's a lot of other stories in there where Elijah does some crazy stuff. There's this one story. This is free. This isn't even in my notes. There's this one story where Elijah's walking through, you know, just a, a rural place in the Middle East. And these kids come out and they start making fun of him for being old and bald. And a bear comes out and eats the boys. And it's just like, wh- why? They're just, I mean, if every time my kids did said something stupid, I called a bear out. We, all the kids be dead. But this is Elijah. God was, God moved through Elijah in powerful ways. And so, the message of good news that was brought to Zechariah and Elizabeth was, was this powerful word that your son's going to be the guy with the spirit and power of Elijah who's going to be able to turn people from their sins and back to God. Wow. And God begins to work through that, but how was he going to do that? How was he going to do that? Look at verse 15. John will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he's never going to do these things. He's never going to drink wine or beer. But what, what's the key to the power that John is going to have to point people to Jesus? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. The Bible says that before... You were formed in your mother's womb that God knows you. It's powerful. That before you are ever born, God knows if you are his child and what he's going to empower you to do in the world for his glory. And that when you set foot on this planet, on mission for God, that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit to do what God's called you to do. God works through unsuspecting people and places. That's you. He is going to send you 
to places you never thought you would go. And finally, number three in your notes, your journey to Jesus will awaken you to God's grace. You know, it it brings this message of power, this message of change, this breaking of God's silence after 400 years. And what does it call it? What does it call this announcement? Good news. We talk all the time, every week, about the fact that this church is a good news church. Why? Because we also see the bad news, right? That God's bringing John to point people to Jesus and Jesus is going to be on this earth. But there is a day coming where we're going to stand before God. And he's going to judge sin. And he's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth and he's going to rule and reign forever. And that's good news. But to get to the good news, you've got to go through the bad news that there's a reason you need Jesus. There's a reason God sent John to prepare the way. Man, it's working in power. And you have the opportunity, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, to join him in power to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be a witness for him. We have an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus. You see, because John paved the way for Jesus' first coming. And God's plan to pave the way for his second coming is the church. It's you being on mission for Jesus. It's you being on mission for Jesus this Christmas. And so I'm going to have the band come back up, but I want to ask you a question as they come and as they play. Elizabeth made a confession in verse 25, and I want to close with it and I want to challenge you with it. Here's what she said in verse 25. The Lord has done this for me. He has looked on me in favor these days to take away my disgrace. You know what Elizabeth's response was to the Lord in that moment? To worship. To worship. Says she hid away for five months. But she says, the Lord's done this thing for me. And so as we move into Christmas and move into the Christmas season. I want to call you to the realization that God works through people like you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what your skill set is. We sang that song that God's reckless love. That's why that's why we call it reckless love because it doesn't make sense for him to use you or me. It it, it feels a little bit reckless for God to leave 99 good sheep come after this one that's how we feel sometimes and honestly that that's how it is but what does the bible say that he left those 99 and he came for you and he wants to use you whether you're in kindergarten or middle school or high school or an adult a young professional or or you're old like zachariah wherever you are god wants to use you to draw people to himself an awesome thing but the question is 
and the perspective that you'll have to have to be able to do that, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be on mission, to overcome your fear, to overcome your doubt, to overcome your, your selfishness, is you're going to have to stand in this place, but you're going to have to stand in that place out there, and you're going to have to be willing to worship. You see, because worship is the lifestyle that leads us to work in the mission of God. It's born out of worship. You're going to worship. You're just either going to this Christmas season worship yourself or you're going to worship Jesus. And I just want to call you in this moment to choose to worship Jesus. Amen? So why don't you stand with us? The band's going to sing and then I'll come back up and pray for us.